Coming to you live from the Morningstar Mission Sponsored Studios, this is Carl and Crew Mornings on 90.1 FM Moody Radio. All right, guys, 604, 603 is our time. Don't want to jump the gun here. It's Carl and Crew Mornings here. Ask the experts today. Rob West is going to be with us here in just a couple of minutes, so we want you to tee it up, get these questions in. This is going to be lightning round for three hours here, people. So you can get in your questions on budgeting, investing, giving, finances, retirement. Shoot them to us by text message 312-274-9624. Yeah, if you don't know this yet or not, uh, 3 p.m. here weekdays, Rob West can be heard every weekday at 3 p.m. for Money Wise Live. And we've got... We're going to have links for you today. You're going to have resources. I've got a story for you myself that almost seems too good to be true, but Rob put me onto it. So oh, wow. It's those kind of things that we're going to be talking about today. It's Carl and Crew Mornings helping you take your next step with Jesus. Let's get questions in right now, and then we'll get with Rob West. Text us 312-274-9624. It's like coffee, but for your ears. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. Got that Sunday morning feeling on that Thursday morning. I can't do that old radio voice like Super Die that well. She's got that down. <laughs> she does. Wolfman Jack. <laughs> you guys ever heard of Wolfman Jack? Only from you. Yeah, I I, I think mostly here. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it shows how old I am. Huh. We got a great friend here. He might know of Wolfman Jack. His name's Rob West, nationally syndicated radio program called Money Wise Live, heard every weekday here at 3 p.m. Boom Crew. We are going to have, we are locked, loaded, ready to rumble with advice. Um, not only that, links to great resources. I've got a story that's almost mind-blowing. In fact, I got to check with Rob to see if this can, in fact, be true. He helped put me on to uh, someone to help someone else with oh. a financial question. Okay. And I, I'm like, my goodness, this stuff works. Huh. So what all those details are, we'll tell you that coming up. But right now we want to jump in the deep end, bring in our good friend, Rob West. How you doing this morning, young man? Good morning. It's great to be with you. I'm not sure when you ask the afternoon guy to come in on the morning. <laughs> I'm not sure how this is going to go, but we'll, we'll give it a shot. You sound pretty awake. Are you a coffee drinker, Rob? I am, and I've had a cup, so I'm good. Hallelujah. You're off to the races, buddy. Okay, Allie, what do we have, sister? Well, just so you have a little bit of background on Rob, Rob has had decades of success in the finance business world, president and spokesperson of Kingdom Advisors, also host of Money Wise Live, which you hear afternoons at 3 o'clock right here on 90.1 FM. Rob, I'm going to start off with a question that came in by text message. Uh, My children are on Social Security disability through their dad. One turned 18, and they sent a letter asking, me to return all the money I have in savings or investments back to them. I still have a 14-year-old and I'm saving and I also have a 529 for him. Can you please advise me on what to do? So I think the main question, do I give this money back to this 18-year-old that has some social security disability savings? Yeah. Well, (laughs) the um, social security disability benefits can remain in effect for as long as you're disabled or until you reach age 65, and then your retirement benefits kick in. So I'm a little confused as to why they're asking it back. So that would be the first step is just to get a little more clarity on what's going on here. And 
despite uh, what some people might say, you, you can get information from SSA.gov, and you can even <laughs> schedule an in-person meeting. So I'd probably do that. I would uh, reach out to them, set up a meeting. Always better to be face-to-face. Go in, find out what's going on, and what your options are before you start sending any money back, because it could be a mistake. Yeah, that's right on. And uh, isn't it true, Rob, we got to be careful when we call government agencies? You can get four different answers with four different phone calls. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but my experience is these SSA agents are pretty knowledgeable. It's, you know, in the wake of COVID, everything's more difficult. It yeah. takes longer to get in. The phones are busier. But once you get that in-person meeting, that's, I think, the key. Okay. Uh, quick question here. I am 65. What age can you use directed charitable giving from your IRA to your church for tithing? My understanding is that I am not taxed and the church gets the full amount. Is this correct? It is, but not at 65. You've got to actually be uh, 70 uh, and a half to be able to do this. That's right. Uh, so your required minimum happens at 72 now, but you've got to be over 70 and a half to do the uh, what's called a qualified charitable distribution. Now, I love this because I love giving. I mean, you know, as we think about our role as stewards of God's money, uh, we need to hold it loosely, and when we give it generously, it calibrates our hearts to the Father. I love how it changes our perspective, and it really demonstrates our trust. But we want to do that in a wise way as well, right? So if we're going to get a tax benefit, let's take full advantage of it. So how does that play into an IRA? Well, as you make that required minimum distribution past age 70 and a half, uh, you can send it directly to your church or charity through a qualified charitable charitable distribution. So they get the stock gift, they would liquidate it and and, uh, and then uh, use the proceeds or they could receive the cash, but it doesn't come to you. So they get the full benefit. You don't recognize it as income and everybody wins. So I think it's a great option. That is actually amazing. I didn't know that at all. That is some great information. There's a lot of people out well, there and listening. Here's the thing, a yeah. lot of people that take a required minimum don't need it. So they're, like, right. they're living on other income sources. They've, they've got Social Security. They've got a retirement. And so they're just taking it, paying the tax on it, sticking it in savings. Well, why not send it directly to a church or charity? Now, if you don't have the extra money and you're relying on it, well, what about this? What about using money out of savings to replace the money you would have been taking from your qualified charity or from your required minimum? And then send that direct to your church or charity and miss the tax on it altogether. That's a big deal. What you just shared with me right there is huge. I, I don't think many people know that fully, Rob. Yeah. Okay. I, I know you're exactly right. Okay. This is great. All right. We're going to go lickety split here. We got another question coming in. We'll take it after the break. Yeah. This is from a, someone who is asking about joint checking accounts. Says, I've always heard if you're married, you should have a joint checking account. What do I do if my spouse loses his job? Puts very little effort into getting another. I'm working extra to make ends meet. Going into debt or retirement savings is not an option for me, but it is for my spouse. What are your thoughts on a joint account for house bills than two separate accounts for each spouse? We'll tackle that one coming up. Got to go into work? Don't worry. Check out the Carl and Crew Showcast wherever you like to stream. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. We've got Rob West normally on in the afternoons, but joining us for Ask the Expert this morning, taking your questions on all things finances. Question that right now we have out there is from someone who's asking about joint accounts. This is a married couple. 
This is the wife who says, my spouse has lost his job, doesn't put a lot of effort into getting another. I'm working to make ends meet. Going into debt or retirement savings is not an option, but it is for me, but it is for my spouse. So what are your thoughts on having a joint account for those house bills and then two separate accounts for each spouse? Rob, there's a lot that's being unsaid here, but yeah. why don't you give it a shot? That's right. Yeah, I'd be happy to. You know, I think the big idea here is God's design for marriage is oneness, and that includes our finances. It's not an area where we can hold out of this oneness idea and design. And so I think prior to marriage, we need to be talking a lot about money. How was money handled growing up? And what's my earliest memories of money? And did we have a lot or a little? And how did that shape how we view money today? And what about giving? And what about the use of debt and long-term savings? And how much is enough for our lifestyle? I mean, all these conversations need to be had because once we marry, we need to put everything together. Yes, assets and liabilities and spending, because if we don't, it's going to foster yours and mine. And that division is just not good. And to your point, Allie, What's underneath this is that the money issue is surfacing a heart level issue, which the money is just symptomatic of what's going on underneath. And so there's a breakdown of trust there that needs to be dealt with. But the answer to that is not to have separate checking accounts, which is going to continue to foster that division. The the big idea here is coming together to say, let's start with our values and our priorities. Let's step back and say, what is it we're trying to accomplish with God's money? And in this difficult season, how do we lean into that, invite God into it, and make a plan together? But the answer is not to have two checking accounts. Yeah, right on, Rob. I love that, buddy. From a pastor's perspective, hallelujah. If you'd said anything different, I'd have been bummed out. Way to go. Okay, let's, uh, Rob, let's hit this one. This is common for a lot of folks, especially a lot of our primary listeners. Um, this is an adult child, I'm certain of it, who says, what do I say to my dad who expects me to pay off Parent PLUS loans to him to the tune of 120 k So, Boom Crew, what happens is a parent takes out a loan so the kid can go to college. It's in their name. So the dad's coming back going, help me pay this off. But I have my own loans to the tune of $206,000. Uh, he won't work with me. The question is this. Do I pay off my dad's loans for him as I feel it's the Christian thing to do or let him kind of suffer until he puts some work into communicating with me? This is, this is sad yeah. because money's gotten between father and son or daughter here. Well, it has. And this is why the Bible, in my view, speaks so plainly against co-signing. You know, when we get into a lender-borrower uh, situation, it changes the relationship as totally. we're reading God's Word. The Bible is very clear. Do not co-sign because you're going to bring money into that relationship and it's going to completely change it and could even, uh, you know, destroy it. And that's obviously the potential of what's going on here. Rob, you know, a quick question, up. quick question on that, Rob. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't you say it's okay to co-sign if you've already signed off in your heart, I might eat this whole enchilada and I'm okay. Is that fair or no? Yeah. Uh, no, absolutely. Ready, willing, and able to, to step in and, and cover it. Here's okay. the reality, Carl. The FTC tells us 50% of people that co-sign will end up having to step in okay. and make the payment or have their credit destroyed. So if you go into it knowing I'm going to make, I'm going to help here and I'm willing to make the gift and check your heart and make sure you're good with that, because if you 
you're saying that verbally, but you don't really believe that in your heart, it's still going to damage the relationship. But if you're ready to step in and make that a complete gift, then I think that's a different situation. Okay. But so what yeah. was going on here, you know, I think first of all, we recognize we, we shouldn't have done that. Second of all, there needs to be open communication on the front end. You know, parents, especially in this area of college, you know, communicate with your kids. So husband and wife sit down and say, what are we going to do for college? How much can we afford where it's not going to destroy our own financial lives in retirement? Because there are other ways to pay for college, scholarships and grants and work study and the like. But sit down with your kids and say, here's what we have available. Now let them go check the cost of attendance on the website of the school they want to go to, figure out how much it's going to cost and figure out how much gap there's going to be so they can plan for that early. Let's not keep this a mystery only for the kids to find out they have all these student loans that they're now responsible for in the back end. Now, it, they've got two. They've got three hundred thirty thousand dollars in debt here. Well, that's a big problem because you've got to have a pretty big salary in order to cover that. Uh, so, where do we go from here with dad? Well, I think there's got to be a conversation just to say, Dad, you know, let's back up and talk about what was the intent here and what was communicated and who was going to handle what. And I've got my own 200,000 and you've got 130. And how are we going to move forward together based on what happened here? We've got to have a conversation in love that's open and honest and develop a plan and a path forward. And then at the end of the day, based on the outcome of that, you've got to decide, are you going to let the finances trump the relationship or the relationship trump the finances as you create your path forward? Uh, Rob, I'm going to do this live on air because I had no reason to doubt this guy. I brought to you a man that had about four grand in debt of of his debt. Four thousand of it was it ready for this alley? Twenty seven point six percent. Oh wow! Ouch! Wow! Which, by the way, ought to be picking outlawed somehow, Rob. I don't know how we do that, but that's yeah. insane. I know people are. We can be knuckleheads enough to sign up for it, but man, we just. There's 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 so much going on in the psyche of a person that does that that we don't know what's happening, yeah. you know. Anyway, so they got yeah. their they got their tookie and a squisher with that one. And I came to Rob West when he was in town. I said, Rob, I want to help this guy. And he said, have them call. And you gave me the guy that you, that you partner with. What's the name of that outfit? Christian Credit Counselors. OK, Christian Credit Counselors. No joking. This kid was utterly astonished. He comes back to me and he says, because of my credit score, they're taking that whole debt at 2% and change. Mm. Rob West. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'll tell you, you know, that's my preferred way. And actually, that's the number. So if you have less than 4,000 in credit card debt, and this there's nothing magic about that. It's just my experience over the years. That's kind of the threshold. If you have less than that, you should just snowball it. What does that mean? Well, just limit your spending, create margin, line up the debts largest to smallest, pay all the minimums, but let's go after the smallest one with every extra dollar a month until it's paid off. That psychological boost of tearing that one up is going to keep you going and you just move right down the line. But when you get beyond 4,000, especially at those interest rates, and that's not uncommon now with rates climbing, the Fed just raised rates another three quarters of a point yesterday. That means credit card variable interest rates are headed even higher. That's right. Uh, Then that's, yeah, that's where a, a credit counseling program works, not debt consolidation. We're not taking out a new loan and trying to spread this thing out over a longer period of time. And, you know, then only the, the credit card debt's going to come back because we don't solve the problem. This is where we leave the debts right where they are. But through credit counseling, the interest rates drop. And that's what your friend experienced, Carl. Yeah. And you pay one monthly payment at a much lower interest rate. 
And on average, uh, you'll pay back 80% faster. And hundreds and hundreds of our listeners have done it. And it's very, very amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. It really is. Well, the question out there right now, what do I do to get out of a timeshare? Let's tackle this one uh, right now. Rob, go ahead. This one should be a quick answer. How do you get out of a timeshare? And a lot of times people yeah, sound so really good. You get easy. hooked in. And then what do you do oh, to get no. out? Is it easy? It's it's really easy. You just don't get into one. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Rob. I'm sorry. No, uh, let me tell you, I get, a, I mean, I could lo- line up every show every day with questions on how do I get out of a timeshare, which should be a warning to everybody else who's considering a timeshare. Don't share. get into you it. will regret it. Hmm. No, unfortunately, and, and I don't mean to make light of it because it, it is, uh, it's frustrating, especially if, if you can't afford the maintenance fees or you're just not using it. You're feeling like, you know, I'm not being a good steward of this money. I get it. Uh, it's, it is difficult though. Unfortunately, uh, even through, though my friend Dave Ramsey has a particular company he endorses, I've never found uh, an organization, even though many of them promise they'll help you unwind these, I've never found one that I could feel good about recommending. So what do you do? Well, uh, number one is there's a, a users group online at tug2.com. That's T-U-G. It stands for Timeshare Users Group, tug, and then the number two.com. You can post them there for sale, um, you know, or exchange or to give it away. So I would check that out. I'd certainly go back to the the organization you bought it from, see if they'd be willing to take it. Uh, You can gift it, although somebody would have to be willing to pick up the maintenance maintenance fees. Yeah, it's oh, a killer. I, yeah, uh, because sometimes can, these sites where you've got these timeshares aren't even accessible for tourists anymore, Rob. I mean, let's get real that's here. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So it's challenging. Stay at it. Try to give it away. Gift it. Whatever you can uh, just to get out from under it. But it's not going to be easy. And I hate that for you. Get more from your morning show. Check us out on social media. Just search Carlin Crew Mornings on Facebook and Instagram. It is Ask the Expert Week. Today we're talking all things finances. This guy is a wealth of information. I'm telling you right now, any question you've been dying to ask someone who's got more wisdom than you, and you've been wondering, how do I do this? You text in a question to us. We will ask it totally anonymously. Ask the toughest financial questions that you've got right now. Text us to 312-274-9624. Rob, let's talk prepaid funerals. we got a question saying, I'm concerned about rising costs of funerals. Would it be wise to lock into a plan now for a prepaid funeral? Yeah, you know, I'm not a huge fan of this. I mean, one of the pros to this idea, Ali, is that you do lock in the price. So, uh, funeral inflation, if you will, is, runs between six and seven percent. So obviously you're locking that in. You've I'm got sorry for laughing. This is a there's funny. No, this is a funny discussion. <laughs> there's there's no second guessing uh, this decision for your family already at a difficult time. So all that's done, and I like that. The downside is the funds are tied up. Funeral homes do go out of business, interestingly, and you can't change your mind. So. I think what's most important is pre-planning so that your family has all those decisions made and you could absolutely put the money away. I mean, if you put, you know, 10 grand in a good investment at age 40, by the time you're 70, you could bury King Tut if you wanted to. (laughs) But here's the thing, you'd have access to the money along the way. Uh, And I'd much prefer that option. 
That's fantastic. We got another question here, Allie? Yeah. I want to contribute to my Roth IRA using dollar cost averaging. What is the best strategy? Monthly, twice monthly? Is there a best time if I do it monthly? Yeah, there really isn't because you'd have to know where the market's going to be on any given month. But the idea is systematic investments, dollar cost averaging works. So for the benefit of our audience, what is dollar cost averaging? Well, that just means that we don't know whether the market's going up or down on any given day. So it'd be better just to be systematic because we're buying it at all points. When the market's down, we're buying at a discount. We're getting more shares for the same investment. And when we do that over time, we systematically move into the market and we take advantage of the long-term rising trends of the market, which despite the last you know, nine months is generally positive. So I, I think that's absolutely the way to do it. I like monthly because it's simple. There's really no benefit to doing it twice a month, but I wouldn't do it annually unless you're going to do it at the beginning of the year just to get it working for you all year. I think a monthly building it right into your budget is the way to go. Uh, is there too much volatility in cryptocurrency or should I get into this market? No, absolutely not. I wouldn't touch it. You know, crypto is here to stay. The blockchain technology with a decentralized computer system in this age of mistrust against centralized anything is not going anywhere in the area of finance and healthcare. And there's a whole host of other applications. But as an investment, way too early. I mean, to think uh, .com at the beginning of the .com. Yeah. I mean, 70% of those companies went away. We're going to see a lot more of these completely fail. Some of them already have. Uh, we're going to see more regulation coming in because the you know, central banks of the world don't want uh, you know this type of competition and they don't want people right. you know working outside the system the banks don't either and so as a result of the regulation some of the uh, um, you know fraud that's been involved in this space not to mention the fact that a lot of these are going to go away I wouldn't touch it bottom line is uh, if you can't explain it to your mom don't invest in it <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of wisdom that's a lot of wisdom your shot of hope to make it through the day. It's Carl and Crew Mornings. Yeah, guys, get that uh, testimony from Allie Meister. She does a great job with these guys. Text the word SNAP to our number here. SNAP, 312-274-9624. It's Ask the Experts Week. This has been an amazing week. It has. Today we've got Rob West as we're talking finances. Rob, how do I know when I'm putting too much money into an older vehicle? You know, the rule of thumb here is if the repair is more than 50% of the value of the car, uh, then you don't want to do it. And that's just a rule of thumb. So you've got to weigh against that. What's the condition of the car and how important is this car to get you to work? And, you know, do you have an alternative and all of those things? But that's at least a starting point. Yeah. I would check Edmunds.com or KBB.com, find out what the value is and make sure that what you're putting into it, you can get out of it. Now, I like the idea of keeping cars a long time. The last minivan we turned in and that's what you have to do when you have 250,000 miles on it yeah. it had just that and so I like to drive them till the wheels fall off but uh, that's where you're going to get the most bang for your buck uh, quick question on that one used car prices have gone up exponentially uh, when if you're selling a used car how do you make sure that you're actually selling it at, at actual value and not undervaluing it 
Yeah. Well, and I think that's where these sites can really be helpful because they've kept up oh, with kept rising up with costs. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they're using you know recent sales to come up with their values. Got it. I would definitely be looking at the private sale value, not the trade value or anything else. Uh, but they have kept up. So that'll still be a good resource. OK, this is a tough one to ask, but this is for a lot of people. How do I start to prepare for retirement? I'm 69 years old. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. What do you say? Well, the. The most important thing you can do is really just try to limit your lifestyle, which includes trying to pay off as much debt as you can. You know, the quicker you can get out from under that mortgage and get out from under any kind of debt whatsoever is just going to bring your overall spending down. And that's really the key when you are ill prepared in terms of retirement savings. So we want to live as modestly as possible. And therefore, we need less income from whatever sources. We want to try to delay Social Security as long as we can, which means we're continuing to work, perhaps beyond the age we expected, because every year we wait beyond full retirement age up to age 70, that check's going to increase by 8% a year, and that could make up the difference in what you really need. It could also mean that you're continuing to work, perhaps even part-time, in retirement. Uh, so I think all of these things combined with you know whatever savings or margin you have, just continuing to sock that away, even at 69. But when you get to that point, it's really all about a modest lifestyle, keeping expenses down, and perhaps working longer than you expected. Helping you start your day with a boom. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. Want to make sure you know about event coming up next Saturday, November 12th in the morning. There's going to be a pancake breakfast and a Q&A book signing. Carl's going to be out speaking in Naperville. So if you can get out there, totally free event, but we do need you to register. Text the word ALIVE to 312-274-9624. Text ALIVE and we'll get you the details. Yeah, a lot of fun, guys. Can't wait to see you out there. Okay, questions. To use or not to use that housing credit available to pastors. What do you say, Rob? I like it. Yeah, absolutely. And you would take full advantage of that opportunity to have that excluded from your uh, taxable income. I think the key is whether or not you're considered self-employed or W-2 and whether or not you're opting out of Social Security. But that's a separate issue. And I like the housing allowance. Excellent. Uh, Another one here. I just turned 69, Rob. And I am semi-retired. I still have 100K in outstanding student loans. My take-home monthly is about 4K. How should I attack this? Well, it's challenging, and I think you just have to recognize this $100,000 in student loans isn't going anywhere, so we're just going to need to keep that current, keep paying on it as you can, keep your lifestyle as low as possible so you can live within your means on that 4000 that you have. If these are federal loans, there are income-based uh, repayment options available to bring that payment down to something that fits into your budget so you can keep it current. That's the way to go. Yeah, that IDR angle is important, and you need to explore that for sure. Okay, let's keep cooking here, Allie. Okay, want to grab a question that came in by text message. Any downside to the new I-bond rage? No, I don't think so, as long as it's the right time horizon on the money. So I've got a lot of calls from people saying, I'm going to pull out of my uh, IRA and stick it into the I-bond, especially last month when it was paying 9.62%. As of November, moving forward for the next six months, it's down to 6.8, which is still very attractive, given that it's completely safe. It's government-backed money. So there's really no safety issue, and 6.8% is still a very good rate for the next six months, but not if it's money that has a time horizon 
in five years plus. I'd rather be in a properly diversified stock and bond portfolio. But between one and five years, if that's my time horizon, then why not get 6.8 instead of 3.5 in a savings account with complete safety backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government? Yeah, that's that sounds like wisdom. Okay, another one. We're going to keep firing them at you here. Good morning. My husband's plan is to collect Social Security benefit at age 22. That's the first available. Is that right, Rob? 62? 62? Is that Uh, right? Yes, it is. You're going to take about a 30% haircut on that from your full retirement age. But yes, it is available. Okay, so the rest of the question is, he still plans to work a part-time or some gig on the side. Is it logical and is it prudent? What do you say, Rob? Uh, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, your benefits will be reduced a dollar for every two dollars over the limit. Um, but you'll get that back at full retirement age through a higher check over time until it's fully repaid. So any amount that your benefits are reduced further, keep in mind, when you take it at 62, you're locking in that roughly 30% reduction for life. So that's locked in. And then it's going to be reduced further when you work uh, over a certain amount, you're going to have that benefit reduced further. But again, at full retirement age and beyond, that begins to come back to you until the IRS fully repay it's carlin crew mornings here ask the expert week this week today rob west i love this man he is full of financial wisdom any questions fire him our way do not be embarrassed we will not call out your number we don't even have your name this is the time to get your toughest financial questions answered we'll try to get every one of these in here we're asking rob a couple of these have asked rob to settle a dispute between a husband and wife this one is do we take an inheritance that's coming our way to pay off debt or do we invest in our retirement rob what do you say Well, it depends. (laughs) And here's what it depends on. Have you solved the problem that got you into debt in the first place? Because the last thing I'd want you to do is just come in and wipe out this debt as badly as I would like for that to be gone. And have you call me back or text into Carl and Allie six months or a year from now and say, guess what? The inheritance is gone. The debt's back. So we've got to do the hard work to right size our lifestyle. If we've had lifestyle creep and we're living beyond our means, and that means we're taking a little bit every month and putting it on the credit cards. We've got to solve that. So I want really six months of you living on a budget, balanced with some margin, attacking that debt on your own. Now, once that's resolved, then absolutely, there's a no-brainer there. You're not going to get... 27% in the stock market guaranteed, which is what you're going to get when you pay off that credit card debt or whatever that that rate is. So I would absolutely wipe out the credit card debt. As to the mortgage, I want you to have that paid off by the time you retire at a minimum, because that's going to reduce your biggest expense and bring your lifestyle spending down in retirement. If you can pay it off earlier, great. I'm not one of those that say, you know, let's never pay off the house. Absolutely. If you can get debt free, let's do it. And that's just going to give you more freedom to respond to whatever the Lord calls you to do. But if you're perhaps somewhat behind on your long-term savings, I like the idea of paying off the credit card debt, uh, making sure you're on track to pay off the house by retirement, and then investing the balance. Rob West, our guest right now, ask the expert, get your question in here, and we're going to pitch him as many as we can here this morning. This guy's on fire here. Rob, got a general question, has not been asked yet, but I've had it asked of me many times, and it's heartbreaking. There are people out there that are retirement age that hear about this 30% return on this return on investment. And they go, wow, we got to go get our money over there only to find out they've been built, ripped off blind. I've got, I've got friends in this city 
that have lost some upwards of 140k on a gig like this. How do you avoid getting into a bad investment? Yeah. Well, I think the first uh, key is what I said earlier, and that is if you can't explain it, don't invest in it. And that's going to automatically eliminate probably 75% of these. And then the second one is if you don't have spousal unity, don't invest in it. That's going to take care of the other 24%. So (laughs) now we're down to 1% of these left that your wife or husband's on board with, and you can explain it to your mom. Uh, Then we go back to the Bible, which uh, is pretty clear. Proverbs 28, 19, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. There's this idea in God's word around steady plotting, and uh, that's what we need to be focused right on. on. So uh, I think so much of this will be avoided if we apply those big that ideas. so good, Rob West. That's why we love you. Let's get a couple more in here. Uh, if you've gotten into yourself into a bad financial situation, is it okay to go with a turbo debt or some other debt relief? Yeah, again, I think the big idea here with debt repayment is first, uh, you know, let's uh, make sure we've solved the problem that got us into debt in the first place. And that's always going to go back to that spending plan. There's no shortcut around that. Number two is I don't like uh, paying off debt with new debt. Because that's oftentimes, even though the interest rate's going to come down, it takes the pressure off. And now I just feel like, okay, I can take a deep breath, which is not a bad thing, but then I don't change my habits. And so I've got that consolidation loan. Six months later, the debt's back. So I think that's why we've got to do the hard work. And that's why I like credit counseling as the best option Mm -hmm. to keep that debt where it is. One systematic monthly payment with lower interest rates, which is going to help you pay it off 80% faster. My friends at uh, Christian Credit Counseling. Counselors.org have worked with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of our Money Wise listeners, and uh, they are wonderful. Let me tell you, they are wonderful. I put someone onto them. The response, the the report back that I got, it was mind boggling. So That's get great. get a hold of these guys. Christian Credit Counselors dot is org dot org christian credit counselors dot org okay coming up here, Rob. Do I lease or finance a car? What do I do with that? Uh, That's coming up yeah. right after news. Coming to you live from the Morningstar Mission Sponsored Studios, this is Carl and Crew Mornings on 90.1 FM Moody Radio. All right, we got a micro question, but first a macro question. We're in Ask the Expert Week, and we've got Rob West with us today. We're answering all things financial. He is. And we're pitching him those questions. If you've got questions that just have been gnawing at you and maybe are embarrassing to ask, this is the time to do it. You don't have to call in. No voice recognition. We will pass along the question via text message for you. And we will not shout out. We don't see your name. And we won't shout out your number. Do not be ashamed. This is the time to get your questions answered. 312-274-9624. Before I get to the lease versus finance I had an interesting question come in that has bothered me for a long time. It has to do with our government national debt. Is $31 trillion a problem? We talk about this incessantly, that it's a problem. It's not a problem. We just keep charging up our bill. Does it even matter, Rob, or are we just going to write this off? What's going on here? 
Oh, well, it does matter. It's a big idea. Uh, you know, the U.S. debt um, accounted for 125 percent of the country's GDP. You know, we were waiting for that day where we were crossing 100 percent. Yes, now I remember that. 125 percent of GDP. Can we handle that? Yes. But what about over the long term? Well, that's a problem. I mean, you know, we could be looking, I think, it, for the first time at the potential of a debt crisis, not in the near term, but longer term. I mean, think about servicing that debt with higher interest rates. I'm I mean, saying. we've had interest rates near zero for a long time until this year when inflation skyrocketed because of easy money. And we're paying the price of that easy money policy that was just printing and distributing, uh, you know, at will. And now we have 40 year high inflation and now interest rates are through the roof. I mean, we're up 400 basis point on mortgage rates from three to seven percent plus. Us now for a 30-year mortgage. We'll apply that to the national debt, and you've got a big problem. Uh, so we've got to right-size that. I mean, biblical principles apply to individuals. They apply to nations as well. Yep. And so we've got to deal with this. I think, you know, unless we do, we're going to have some issues down the road. You know, where do we stand versus the rest of the world? Well, if we're grading on a curve against everybody else, we're in pretty good shape. I mean, we're in the best position of any of them, given that we have the largest economy and, and uh, you know, we're we're still the reserve currency for good reason, because we still, um, you know, I think have the ability to pay our bills. But longer term, this is a real problem that we've got to get under control. OK, real quick one back to this. Let's get a little more personal. Forget that national stuff. The big problems begin at home. Right, Rob? So here we yeah, go. That's right. Uh, leasing versus financing a car. What say you, Rob West? Uh, no, I don't like it at all. It's the most expensive way to drive a car. You know, how do they derive those lease payments? Well, it's based on uh, the residual value of the car. OK, so they calculate uh, the total expected depreciation uh, and the rent charge, the sales tax and the fees. What are those? Well, you've got an acquisition fee, a title fee, a registration fee and so on. So you put all that together, you pay a ton. And then guess what? At the end, you don't even own the car. Uh, so what do you do in Instead, well, you buy a used car that you can afford. Uh, it used to be a two to three year old car with prices up now. Maybe it's a four to five year old car, so it fits into the budget. But you're much better off buying a car where you've missed some of the depreciation and owning it for a long, long time. It's by far the most cost effective. I've got an 05 Audi and it's beautiful <laughs> and it's a ragtop. No kidding. When I got this thing, my daughter goes, wow, what a nice car. It happened to be dent free. Only had 70 some thousand miles. And you know what? Yeah. I paid 3,800 bucks for it, Rob. There you go. And guess I what? Like it. It's still running. All right, Allie, let's go, sister. Uh, what's the best way to put aside money for grandchildren? My, it says my parents did the education uh, bonds for my children. Uh, what's the best way for me to kind of put aside money for the future for my grandkids? Yeah, if you want to earmark it for college, then I like the 529 College Savings Plan. It's just, Think of it like a Roth IRA. You don't get the deduction when the money goes in, but it grows tax-free as long as it's used for qualified educational expenses. It's considered an asset of the parent, so that's good for determining your expected family contribution if you're entitled to any uh, uh, FAFSA money for student aid. Uh, and you can invest it, and it grows. Between now and college, it can also be 
used up to 10000 a year for elementary and high school uh, private school. But, um, you know, if, if it's going to be earmarked for college, I like the 529. And the best way to determine the right 529 plan for you, because every state has one and your state may not be the best one for you, the Illinois plan, uh, go to savingforcollege.com, answer a few questions, and they'll rank them. And they're looking at not only the fees and the potential tax benefits of an in-state plan, but they're also comparing the investment performance among all the other plans, and they'll tell you which one's the best. Okay, we're going to get another one here. Uh, How much money should I have saved for retirement? I know this is relative to a lot of other conditions that you can't know, but Rob, what's the rule of thumb, and how do you figure that out? Uh, Yeah, you know, as you look at this, uh, you know, by retirement age, the rule of thumb is you should have 10 to 12 times your income. The challenge is a lot of people are hearing that and they say, Rob, I make 60,000 a year. Uh, Are you kidding me? I mean, there's no way I'm going to have $720,000 in the bank. Well, that's fine, but it's all about the budget, right? And so the idea behind that is, okay, let's say you make that 60,000 a year and that 720,000 at 4% a year is going to throw off 28.8. So about Half of it's going to come from an income stream off that 720 where you're never going to touch the principal. It's there for life. And then you'll make up the other half uh, through Social Security. And by the way, most people live on 70 to 80 percent of their pre-retirement income in retirement. So your bills are coming down because the kids are off the payroll. You're out of debt. You're no longer saving for retirement. So all those things are eliminated from the budget. If you can't save that 10 to 12 times, what do you do? Well, you save as much as you can. You might have to work a little longer and keep your lifestyle spending as low as possible in that season of life. Good wisdom. Whether it's number one or 100, take that step with Jesus today. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. How does a parent of young children start to prepare for the future? Rob West, our guest, as we're doing Ask the Expert talking finances this morning. Rob, what do you say to a young dad who wants to make sure he's uh, to the best he can set up for the future for his kids? I love that he's asking this question. What a blessing to have kids. And, uh, you know, as we think about how to prepare financially, the best thing you can do, Dad, uh, for your youngster is to make sure you and your wife are financially healthy. Uh, Because if you're living on a budget and you're living within your means and you're not building up debt and you're saving for the future, that puts you in a position to model responsible biblical financial management to your young one as he and or she grows. And that's the very best thing you can do as you model it and practically talk about it and then, uh, you know, give some examples along the way. In terms of specific things, I mean, absolutely, having the proper amount of life insurance is key on you uh, and your wife, if your wife is working, or in the case of a, a stay-at-home parent, uh, we need to have life insurance there because if the Lord were to take one of them home, uh, there would be an additional financial burden placed on the family just through childcare. Uh, so you need uh, 10 to 12 times your income on any wage earners, and then you probably need uh, maybe a couple of hundred thousand on a non-working spouse as well. I'd use term insurance, that's pure insurance, buy as much coverage as you need for as little as possible. Hmm. And that's one of the best ways you can uh, protect that youngster to make sure that uh, if the Lord were to take you home, there's money there to provide. Now, in terms of direct investments toward that child, beyond just all of the care that goes in, which the latest estimates say costs about 
$300,000 to care for a child through age 18. Um, you know, you'd want to look at what we talked about earlier, and that is putting money aside systematically from the very earliest ages in a 529 college savings plan. So the option is there to go to college, and uh, that can come out on a pro rata basis for any scholarships and grants. So if they don't need it, the money can come back out. Yeah, and can those be used for tech schools? Because I'm a big proponent. A lot of these kids are not geared for college at all. And we've got carpenters in the city of Chicago that are making over 200K a year after they become journeymen. I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and that option is there. And I think college is changing and will continue to change in terms of how we think about that. Okay. Uh, is an offering compromise the best way to resolve large IRS debt? Yeah, absolutely. The IRS will work with you. I would, if you, especially if you have a significant debt to back taxes, I would work with an enrolled agent or a CPA that specializes in representing uh, taxpayers before the IRS. Because through an offer and compromise, uh, essentially, um, either if you can pay it off in a lump sum at a reduced rate or getting into a repayment plan, uh, you know, the key is to get on track with the IRS with a plan that's been agreed to by both sides. So you're not considered in arrears. There's no garnishment of wages, any of that. And, um, you know, you're on track to get that paid off. They will work with you despite what uh, you may have heard. Uh, They are pretty ready and willing for those who engage them in these conversations to work out a plan that fits in your budget. We've had a couple of these questions, Rob. Uh, People have multiple pockets of money, 403B, 401K, IRAs, CDs. They're wanting to make sure that they've got these things dealt with properly. Do you have a place where they can go to get counsel on this? Yeah. Well, one of the things we talk about a lot on the program, Carl, is what we call the Certified Kingdom Advisor designation. It's the only designation in the financial services industry for men and women who have met high standards in experience, character, uh, integrity, pastor reference, client references, regulatory review. But they've also been trained to bring a biblical worldview to their financial planning and investments. Uh, So it's the Certified Kingdom Advisor designation. There's 1,300 of them around the country. And if, you know, once you've built up some wealth and you need planning or you need investments, uh, that's the place where we recommend you turn. You just go to our website, moneywise.org and click find a CKA. I'd interview two or three. Find the one that's the best fit. Oh, man. This this is awesome. All right. Let's get a couple more here quickly. Uh, What are the advantages and disadvantages of purchasing service credit? I worked with a county department for a little over 19 years. Now I'm making a lateral move to a different department office, and I want to have my 19 years be applied to my new department. Does that make sense? How does purchasing service credit work? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it, it's a complicated issue. And, um, you know, in terms of where you buy years, you didn't work under the pension system and then treat those as if you did. Uh, you know, you typically do this because it ultimately increases your pension benefit and could allow you to retire earlier. But you really need a, an advisor to look at your particular situation to help you determine whether it makes sense. It's not a kind of one size fits all option, uh, I think you really just need to crunch the numbers in each situation. We got someone here in their early 40s, Rob, who is asking a phenomenal question as a pastor. I love these. What's the difference between saving for the future and hoarding? 
Mm, yeah, boy, this is big. You know, big. I think we've got to we've got to step back as believers and say, first of all, let's put money in its proper context. So God owns it all. We're stewards, which don't just gloss over that, right? We're money managers for the King of Kings. That's a pretty high calling. And then money becomes a tool to accomplish God's purposes, right? And so, what's the purpose of that money that He's given us? Well, I love what Paul David Tripp says. He says, you know, oftentimes we look at in in Christian teaching on this will say that money is just to provide. And yet if we look at God's word, you know, perhaps the bigger opportunity is to join God in his generosity mission and what he's doing that we can participate in, in helping our local church and the needs of the people on our path. And by the way, he's at work to the uttermost parts of the world. And we can join him in that. If we start with provision, we have an unending list of needs and wants, and we'll never get beyond that. So that requires to this question that we set a financial finish line for both lifestyle. How much are we going to spend on a monthly basis? What's the cap beyond which we're going to uh, give it all away? Because remember, our level of spending always rises to our level of income unless we protest to the contrary. So we need a a lifestyle cap, but we also need an accumulation cap Yes, because we need a line where we say this is enough and anything beyond that, I'm going to give that away. And really, at the end of the day, you've got to check your heart. It's all about a heart condition. Am I putting too much trust in my things, the things of this world, or do I have an internal perspective? Because my friend Randy Alcorn says you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Yeah, and here's what's amazing about this, Rob. And I'm so pumped you said this for two reasons. One, there's a cloud of witnesses who's cheering. Listen, they're they're roaring. (laughs) They're hearing Rob, and they're going, that's right. We're the blood (laughs) of the martyrs here. Uh, But secondly is (sighs) accumulators don't generally have joy. Givers have joy. Yeah. This is your joy at risk here, people. Right, Rob? Yeah. Yeah. My friend uh, Todd Harper says, I've never met an unhappy, generous person. And it's true. I mean, think about that. It's just, it does not the way it works. And there were some pretty harsh words uh, in the parable of the rich fool, where we were counseled to be what? Rich toward God. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means handling money, according to John Piper, in such a way that it's apparent that God is our treasure and not our money. Yeah. Right. But that requires a fundamental shift in the way we view our stuff. Right on. Okay. And a, a quick one with that. What's your view of the tithe in the church? Yeah. Yeah, no doubt uh, that we should be givers. I mean, we see that through, uh, you know, uh, throughout the Council of Scripture. I mean, we were created in the image of the ultimate giver, and we need to be calibrated to his heart through our giving. Uh, So I think that's the starting place. Then we look at that and we say, okay, well, what about the tithe? Well, clearly, you know, the tithe was there under the law of Moses. There was actually three of them, uh, if we look at it closely, and then one of them was every three years. So we they were giving 23 and a third percent. Uh, so how does that apply to us today? Well, we're under the law of Christ, right? And so as grace. we begin, yeah, exactly. So Jesus raised the bar in every situation. Um, and would that uh, apply with the uh, our giving? Well, sure. So I like the tithe as a beginning point. Randy Alcorn calls it the training wheels of giving. But listen to what Jesus did. Because when Jesus entered the scene, he said, you know, there's a different way of giving. I'll call it whole life generosity. 
He ultimately gave his life as a sacrifice, the ultimate gift. But when he talked about money, he said we should give as we've been blessed in Luke 6.38. He said to whom much is given, much is required in Luke 12.48. He commended the poor widow who gave her last two coins. He challenged the rich young ruler to give all of his wealth away. So, yeah, I think we should have systematic giving based on our proportion of what we received, our increase. That's the tithe. But that's not the ending point. That's where we start, and then we give sacrificially. Beyond I made that. the grave error, Rob, with coming to my dad when I was a newborn follower of Jesus. I'm tongue-in-cheek in this. I said, Dad, he's 94 now and filled with joy. Nobody can outjoy my dad, except maybe Jim Streelmeyer, my buddy in Indianapolis who's dying of cancer, who's got joy galore. But I, asked, I said, Dad, what about this giving stuff? Heard about the tithe. He says, well, Carl, yeah. he says, that 10% in the Old Testament, we're now under grace. He says, I think 10% is a good place for you to start. And you always want to go up from there. I'm like, Dad, you got another financial advisor for me? <laughs> no, I, I took that. Because my dad's, my dad is, my dad is, is doing well because he was in public education and gets 80% of his last three years on average income for until he's passing away. So he's doing well. But my dad has always been extremely generous, and i never seen it do anything but stoke the coals of joy in his soul. Oh, and I great. know this is hurting some of you out there right now. But this is not about you adjusting your checkbook. This is about you adjusting your heart. And maybe this is a holy moment right now for you. This is kingdom work here, guys, we're talking about. Want more from your morning show? Check us out on social media. Just go to Carl and Crew Mornings on Facebook and Instagram. We've got Rob West with us this morning as we are talking finances for our Ask the Expert week. Let's talk to the young person, the young adult. This is a 28-year-old, has $50,000, wants to invest it wisely, but also wants to be able to have access to it if needed. What do you say, Rob? Yeah, you know, the idea behind investing is that you have to have a long time horizon because we don't know where the market's headed day to day, month to month, quarter to quarter, year to year. And so we've got to put it in buckets. And that would be my counsel to this young person is to think in terms of this 50,000 not being one bucket of 50,000, but multiple buckets. Well, what are they? Well, the first bucket is I need three to six months worth of expenses in my emergency fund for the unexpected, which will come. That doesn't get invested because the time horizon is short. I might need that tomorrow or next week. So that goes in a liquid online savings account linked to your checking where you can move it back and forth at no cost in a couple of days through ACH. Then the next bucket would be a, a short-term savings goal. So I'm saving for that down payment for the house. I'm saving to buy that car we were talking about earlier in the program. That doesn't get invested either. And then there may be a third bucket, only you would know, but that fourth bucket is my long-term investment. So I'm not planning to touch that unless there's a dire emergency, but that's not even in my mind. I'm just counting on the fact that this is, in his case, probably 30 or 40 year money. That goes into a Roth IRA or through salary deferral with matching into your 401k where you're investing it and forgetting it. Okay, coming up here, uh, Rob West, by the way, asks the experts all week long. This has been amazing. We've got another hour and a half. Hour and a half, Boom Crew. The questions are pouring in. We're going to try to bucket these together so that we can get as, as many of these covered as possible here. We've got another one here that you can put in a big bucket, Rob. Uh, they have a considerable amount of debt, 200K in student loans. They're 58 and 59 years old. They're working with Trinity Death, Debt Management for their personal debt. 
Um, what kind of advice can you give to people like this that are in their late 40s, 50s, 60s, considerable debt? Where do they go? How do they look at this so they're not getting their lunch eaten? We'll get that question answered and a whole lot more coming up. Ask the expert Rob West straight ahead. Good morning. I'm Jonathan. And hey, let's get you updated this morning. The man who killed 17 people in the 2018 Florida school shooting will spend life behind bars. Judge Elizabeth Scherer on Wednesday sentenced Nicholas Cruz to life in prison without parole. In 2018, the 19-year-old Cruz opened fire on staff and students at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. A new study is revealing binge drinking is to blame for 20% of the deaths of U.S. adults between ages 20 and 49. It was conducted over a recent four-year period and published this week. Researchers examined national and state mortality data from 2015 to 2019, noting that deaths fully attributable to alcohol have risen in the past decade. Excessive alcohol use is a leading preventable cause of premature death that can induce ailments such as heart disease, cancer, unintentional injury, and liver disease. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, an estimated one in six adults binge drink, with a quarter of them binge drinking at least weekly. Now for weather and traffic, it's Super Day. It's going to be a beautiful day today. We could break a record. We're 55 degrees and clear skies currently with a hot day of 73. Plenty of sunshine. The record is 75. So, hey, we might hit it. Now to the area roadways on the Kennedy O'Hare Inn. Got a little busier out there. We're a little closer now definitely to an hour. Junction in 30 Express, about 20. Back out to the airport, 45. Eisenhower Wolf into the O Post Office, 50 minutes. Stevenson Tri-State to Lakeshore Drive, 45. And for the Ryan 95th on in at 30. Drive getting a bit busier, especially south, Hollywood to Monroe at about a half an hour. Delays on the Tri-State 294 northbound Roosevelt to North Avenue. That is due to an earlier accident, but they got that lane open. And nothing too unusual for Northwest Indiana. I'm Diana, and there's your update. Super die. How about that new whiteout we got? I saw him working out on the field yesterday. Yeah, looking pretty good. Supposedly uh, Sunday, we'll see what happens with that. Again, Bears this Sunday as they host the Dolphins at noon. Uh, Nice, nice as for the uh, Bulls. Nice news that is for the Bulls. I'll get that out. They beat Charlotte 106 to 88. They'll visit the uh, Celtics tomorrow. And for the Blackhawks, they play today hosting the L.A. Kings. There we go. Okay, back to the phone lines here, or I should say to the text line. Get in your question. Ask the expert all week long. How has this been so far this week, guys? It's excellent, man. My goodness, this is powerful. Rob West, I love this man, a man of deep character. I just, I got to brag on him behind his back here. This guy is amazing. He is so knowledgeable. He's Godward. And uh, if you want financial advice that centers on the gospel, you're at the right place. Let's roll. Yeah. What do you, what's your advice to those who have a high amount of debt? We have a couple, 58 and 59 years old. They took out some loans to help pay for their kids' college. Now 200000 They said they were already working with yeah. Trinity Debt Management. What other help can you offer us? Yeah. Well, I like uh, the fact that you're in a credit counseling program with Trinity um, Debt Management. So that's a good thing. With regard to the student loans, you know, let's just back up. The average uh, student is graduating now with about 35000 in student loan debt. Uh, you know, the key is we want to try to avoid these as much as we can. I mean, I've got a senior right now who's off to college next year. And, uh, you know, his bedroom, our living room is like a scholarship factory. You know, he's applied already for probably six 
75 scholarships. He'll p- apply for another 50 before he's all said and done. I mean, we've got to make a part-time job out of this. you got to get good grades in school. You know, they may have to work in the summer. Uh, we're looking for scholarships and grants. There are other ways to pay for college without debt and without uh, going into your retirement. Uh, and so we've got to protect that. But if you've got it and you've got a significant amount, and I don't feel bad about that. A lot of people do. We've just got to say, how do we take where we're at and move forward? Well, the key is to limit your lifestyle. It sounds simple, but let's go back to that spending plan. Where can we cut back? Where can we eliminate so we can free up margin? This debt's going to be with us for a while, and that's okay. So let's stay current on it. Let's not uh, you know, forget about it. Let's try to make progress and pay it off over time. But um, I think as long as you're taking care of that high interest debt through the uh, credit cards, uh, once those are gone, then we can roll that over, not into additional lifestyle spending, but we can use that to accelerate the debt payoff and just stay at it and uh, you'll chip away over time. You get someone asking a question here that is so vulnerable. They're saying, are kingdom advisors a kind of therapeutic too? And I thought, what's going on? And then I read further. I have trauma that almost makes me not move forward. I grew mm. up with lack. I was married. We were on a great pace and my husband betrayed me financially. There's trauma around finance. What do you say yeah. about these advisors? Because some treat you like a sausage factory and others care for your soul. What do you say, Rob? Yeah, well, a- absolutely. I mean, these men and women who have the Certified Kingdom Advisor designation are trained to understand, and, and they really do this from a kingdom perspective. They come to work every day knowing that my greatest opportunity for ministry is on the other side of the conference table Monday through Friday, that money issues are hard issues, and that whether you know I'm talking to a prospect or a client, within 30 minutes of sitting down with a person for the first time, I'm going to hear things that they wouldn't tell their best friend, their pastor, or in some cases, their spouse, because because money issues just reveal the issues of the heart. They really are so closely linked to spiritual issues as well. And so oftentimes, well, what we find is that these, on average, these certified kingdom advisors spend about 38, uh, 28 more percent more time with their clients than the average advisor, just because they're going beyond the numbers. Um, So there is that kind of conversation going on. But at some point, obviously, there's a a line there where an advisor would know this is kind of the end of my place and we need some biblical counseling. And perhaps there's there's a working together there with a counselor at your local church or, uh, you know, a local Christian counselor in your community with an advisor who understands that there are spiritual dynamics interwoven with the financial issues. And so it's the two working together to help you tackle whatever you know, you're dealing with. Yeah. Don't just go to church, be the church and tap That's into right. some of the resources that are there. Even a small group can be very beneficial. And uh, good stuff. Okay, let's get a couple more in here quickly. Yeah, my spouse and I max out our 401ks and our after-tax Roth IRS. I'm watching the stock market go down, and we're slowly losing our retirement in the stock market. Should I hold back some of the money and put it into a high-yield bank account, even though it's only paying 2%? Seems better than losing money every month. Um, I am 59. My spouse is 65. Mm, yeah, that's a great question. You know, it's counterintuitive, but this is the time to accelerate your investments if you can. And I realize you're looking at this and saying my 401k is a 201k now. And, you know, I'm, I'm watching these statements and I don't want to open them. Uh, and it's just going down. Why would I continue to put money after a falling stock market? Well, I would just say who wants to buy at the top all the time? I mean, keep in mind when you're investing, you're taking your capital, God's capital that's been entrusted to you. 
and you're deploying it into real companies that have real sales and earnings that are providing, uh, you know, value for the world. That's why they're in business. And you're a percentage owner now albeit a very small percentage owner but you're investing in real companies well when you're investing in a market like this you're buying more shares with the same amount of money you're getting these stocks at a discount and that's real the price to earnings ratios have been are way down as a result of this falling market so now's the time to keep up your systematic investments because as the market recovers and it will remember the stock market looks out about six months so as we get a, a read that the we've started to see inflation come down, that the Fed, the Federal Reserve is going to take their foot off the gas pedal, which based on their comments this week, they're not ready to do that. But when they do, this market is going to take off uh, with a skyrocket higher. We saw a little taste of that just as the market got an inkling that maybe the Fed was going to back off. In the last four weeks, the market's been had incredible strength on the upside. Well, that's going to happen ahead of the economy recovering. And if you're on the sideline, you're going to miss it, which is why you can't time the market. You've just got to stay disciplined in your investing through what we call dollar cost averaging. So I would keep up those investments right now and you will be rewarded over the long haul. Remember, we're not looking out a year or two. We're looking out 5, 10, 20 years. Okay. Someone here comes in. This is a great question and fits with a lot of our audience. Been married 43 years, tithed all those years, gave faithfully, retiring January of 23. How do we determine our offering on a fixed retirement income? Yeah. Well, it's a great question. And, you know, I think um, this question comes in a lot from folks that are, you know, good hearted. They want to honor the Lord genuinely um, with what he has entrusted to them. And yet, as you look at uh, your tithe on Social Security, we recommend or we recognize that a portion of that is a return of capital that you've already paid in. Uh, so, although technically you could distinguish the after tithe amount you contributed, uh, you know, to your personal retirement savings and the increase from the yet to be tithed investment gains, it's difficult to do that with Social Security. And besides, unless you've been self-employed during your entire working years, it wasn't just you who contributed to your Social Security; your employer did as well, which makes it makes it even more uh, complicated. So personally, and this is just me, ultimately, your giving is between you and the Lord. I don't try to drill down to try to estimate how much was considered an increase, how much is a return of capital. In the farming economy of the biblical times, they didn't subtract the amount of wheat they had planted in computing the tithe, right? They just tithed on the whole increase. So So I would just see it as a gracious gift from God, whatever I invested. And at the end of the day, it's about nurturing a closer relationship with the Father. Thanks for being with us this morning. Ask the expert. We've got so many questions coming in for our expert today, Rob West. He has decades of success in the finance business world, hosts the popular Money Wise Live program you hear in the afternoons. We've got a question that comes in and somebody who wants to know, should I put our home in a trust? We have 401ks and IRAs, which I don't think can be included. So is it worth it? What say you, Rob? Yeah, it's not for everybody. I mean, a trust is going to run you $1,500, $2,000. So the question is, why do we need a trust when we can have a simple will and pass our home uh, very effectively to our heirs or wherever we would like to give it, including a ministry? Um, And basically, a trust is going to avoid the probate process. So it's going to pass outside of the probate court. You could give it anonymously. Uh, There are tax benefits, but this usually isn't an issue because uh, the gift tax exemption is so high. 
high. And, you know, the only other issue would just be if you wanted to create a trust where a trustee could have control over your assets prior to your death or beyond your life, and it would be passed based on specific uh, directives. So you have a lifelong dependent that you want to care for or something like that where you want triggering events for somebody that could distribute your assets over time. That would be the reason to use a trust. Apart from that, it's not really necessary. So I think I would check with a godly estate planning attorney just to run your particular situation by him or her. Okay, this one is a common scenario. We've got a mom here that is 87 years old and a daughter or son is concerned. She's about to outlive her money. Less than two years of invested funds left. Owns the condo. What's she going to do? She's a caregiver weekdays. I, I care give weekdays, but needs a break on the weekends. But that weekend caregiving is 3600 bucks a month. Uh, what do you do in a situation like this, Rob? Yeah. Well, this is where, you know, as uh, as we have aging parents, uh, we realize that part of the way we honor our parents is to care for them in this season of life when there is no other alternative. So this may involve uh, her moving in with her kids. Uh, this may involve assistance from the kids or the family uh, as needed. I don't love using debt to fund lifestyle, but this may be one of those situations where a reverse mortgage might make some sense, where she could live in that condo for the rest of her life, as long as she can keep up the taxes and the insurance and then systematically get a payment uh, from the um, reverse mortgage, pulling that equity out for the rest of her life. And then uh, upon her death, that uh, property would be sold, the balance would be paid off and anything left would be available for the heirs. That could be another situation as well. Yeah, that's interesting. So real quick, because a lot of people hear the ills of reverse mortgage, you're saying in this case, it's really do you want to, it's, it's pay me now or pay me later. Almost. It's like, what are we going to do? Are we going to liquidate this potential inherited asset and sprinkle it out over the balance of her lifetime? Or are we going to take her into our home? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, she's house rich, so to speak, and cash poor. And so the question is, can we convert this asset to an income stream to cover her expenses for the balance of her life? And again, that's not my first choice. I'd rather plan in advance of that and save for the future. And then in that season of life, downsize and reduce expenses and not use debt to fund any of this. But in this case where there are no alternatives, either we're going on government assistance, which is going to be challenging we're moving in with family members or we're going to tap into this equity and we've just got to think through it and pray through it to make the right decision. Giving hope directly from the source. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. Ask the experts all week long. Totally different programming, but Boom Crew, you are gobbling this up. Thank you to those of you. You don't even need to text in. We're hearing it. People are saying thank you so much for this week. It's been off the chain and it has been. Tremendous. All right. We're going to get back to our expert today. All things finance. Rob West with us. Rob, what advice would you give to a first time home buyer with a pretty low credit score? Yeah. Well, it's important to have that uh, credit score moving higher. And there's going to be a threshold by which you don't want to buy uh, until you get above probably 640 on your credit score. So if you've had a bankruptcy or a recent charge off and that credit credit score is really low, you're going to pay a price for that in the form of uh, poorer terms, higher interest rates on your mortgage until you get above that 640, preferably above even 720. So how do you 
you do that? Well, it's all about being an on-time payer, dumping debt. Uh, your biggest factor is your repayment history needs to show you as an on-time payer. As those black marks get further and further in the past, they'll have less of an impact on your credit score. You also need to drop your credit utilization, which is the ratio between the balances you owe and the limits you have. You want that under 30%. As you do that, that credit score will climb, and you'll just want to be talking to the prospective lenders, and I'd always get three bids for a mortgage about what is the target for you to get up into that top tier of credit and just wait it out and continue to save for a bigger and bigger down payment until you get that credit score where it needs to be. And that extra time is going to allow you to save, which is a big idea because I don't want you to buy that house unless you have 20% down, which on a $200,000 home is forty grand as a down payment. That might take you a while. Well, that's okay because you can be building your credit score in the meantime. Good stuff. Rob, somebody texted this one in, and this is so good. It applies to so many, and I love how they word this. Mr. West. You ready, Mr. West? I think that's you, Rob. (laughs) Oh, wow. Mr. West keeps speaking about a spending plan. How do I go about making or starting one? I have never had one, but realize this is something I should be doing. Does Mr. West recommend a certain plan, template, or outline for a spending plan? And let me add to this. This isn't in the question. But my heart goes out to the people, some of whom do not make much money at all. Some are single moms, and they feel like they're living by the seat of their pants. But that can almost be the person who is most in need of this. Right, Rob? Oh, absolutely. You know, I like uh, spending plan because it gives every dollar a name. You know, unless we tell our money where it's going to go, it's going to slip through our hands and find its own home. And so uh, a plan is what says, based on the provision God has entrusted to me month by month, and maybe it varies if I'm on commission or I own my own business, I want to have a plan that directs my dollars in line with my values and my priorities, because otherwise it's going to find places to go that I may not be very excited about in hindsight. So how do I do that? Well, Mr. West has an app for you. Good. <laughs> uh, you know, we couldn't, um, I couldn't find uh, the the app that I wanted in my hand, all of my transactions using Larry Burkett's envelope system, but in a modern, fresh format with a digital approach. We couldn't find it. So we went out and hired the best developers we could find. And for two years, they built what is today, I believe, the very best digital money management system out there. It's called the MoneyWise app. It's available in your app store. Basically, you set up your spending plan in there. You connect to your institutions. It automatically downloads your transactions. It places each transaction and it learns over time which envelopes they go in. So at any point in the month, you and your spouse can know how much do we have left in our eating out envelope? How much do we have left in our food or clothing envelope? And you can stay on budget. Uh, you can also build up those envelopes when you're saving for a vacation or a new car. You can link your checking and savings accounts. It's amazing. So head to our website, moneywise.org, click the app button, or just go to your app store and search for MoneyWise Biblical Finance. Here's the other cool thing, Carl and Allie, is that we have a team of people who will come alongside you to help you set that up at no cost no and get it all way. up and running. How intuitive is it? Is it pretty self-explanatory? Because a lot of oh, people yeah. go, oh, so my goodness. so simple to use. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to throw uh, my own question in here, Rob. What's the best way to start helping kids uh, make good financial decisions? Kids who are getting yeah. to those tween teen years, you want to help them start to be responsible for some financial stuff. What's the best way to go about it? 
Yeah, one of my mentors is Howard Dayton, and Howard says we need to be MVP parents, and M stands for model, V is verbally communicate, and as practical examples. So what does that mean? Well, we've got to, first of all, model how to handle money God's way. And so we've got to live on that budget. You know, when little Johnny says, can we buy this? It's not, well, we can't afford that. It's no, we have a spending plan, Johnny, because we want to be good stewards of what God entrusts to us and there's limited resources. And so we have a plan that directs our money. And here's how much is in the miscellaneous category. And, you know, we've got to think about how we're going to use that. I mean, these modeling is a key part, more is caught than taught. And then we need to verbally communicate. We need to be talking about this regularly. And then finally, we need to have practical examples of what this looks like. And let me tell you what that looked like for us. So Julie and I, one month for our four kids, ages 17 to 13, we said, let's give them the eating out portion of our budget this month. Okay, so we said, kids, here's what we have in the budget for eating out. Great idea. It's up to you. And so it was hilarious. I mean, watching them sit around the table negotiating for, okay, we're going to eat out after church and I want to go here. Well, I want to go to this place. Well, we can't do all of these things. So let's give up (laughs) that next Friday night so we can go do that on Sunday. It was great. And by the end of the exercise, they came away. They're like, wow, this is not easy. Boy, I'll bet you ate a lot of fast food choking pukes that month, didn't you? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Oh, my word. You know, you mentioned something earlier, too, about your kids. You made the passing comment of 75 scholarships applied for. I think a lot of parents who run to student loans, we're not helping our kids if we don't make them put some sweat equity into their college education. Speak to that again. That's an important piece here. Make these kids get some skin in the game by working hard to get that cost of education lowered. Right, Rob? Oh, it's so important. You know, my wife, uh, Julie, got $150,000 in scholarships. She grew up in a single-parent home. Her mom said, listen, I want you to go to college. There's just not money available. If you're going to do it, you're going to have to earn your way in or work to do it. And she said that was fine. She got good grades. She was valedictorian. She turned her living room into a scholarship factory, and $150,000 later, she had her college education. But, yeah, it takes work, and you've got to be disciplined. And, you know, it starts with them in investing themselves in school and understanding that they've got to do their part in order to get into college and be able to fund it. And that may mean working in the summer. It may mean a work study on campus, and it may mean applying for every grant or scholarship under the sun. There are thousands of them. So depending upon who your kid is and what the niche they're going for and what their major is, do your research and find all of these opportunities, and then put it on them to go out and find them and apply for them and do the work to uh, to get it paid for. A lot of questions coming in. Ask the Expert Week. We got Rob West with us. Get your questions in. If we can't get it specifically, we'll try to batch it up. We're getting a lot of these specifically. I have a spirit prompting on my heart, and my heart goes out to Sue. We have a ton of listeners here from every walk of life, hundreds of thousands from every walk of life. Rob to the single mom who's on welfare yeah. and doing some side hustle stuff. I, I've known a woman that traveled because she lived in a job desert, traveled about an hour and a half to get to a job that would pay her at all. It is so hard, Rob. Yeah. Yeah. And no fault of their own. Some of them were just, they just had a bad picker. They married a bad guy or they got, a child and they they found they they're listening right now and there's some of this stuff is so far beyond their problems their problems are where where am I going to get the meal next week or today yeah. 
What do yeah. you say to that person right now? Yeah. Well, my heart breaks and I've counseled hundreds of single parents and I know how difficult it is just through their journey and experiencing that. And the first thing I would say is God sees you and his promises are real and he loves you. Uh, The second thing I would say is invite God into your financial life. Don't rob God of the opportunity of providing by using that plastic. Uh, Lay the bills out on the kitchen table and say, God, you see these needs and I need you to step in miraculously. I think the third thing is the challenge to the body of Christ to see these people on our path and step in and provide that need or that gift. Be the hands and the feet of Jesus with the knock in the door while they're sitting at the table praying and you're the answer to that prayer that the Lord provides to step in and cover some of those bills uh, as needed. Uh, and then I think the the last thing is just take be willing to receive as people see that need and are wanting to come alongside you. Be ready to receive that gift as unto the Lord. And then I think lastly is just to do everything you can just to stay dialed into your spending plan, to try to control as best you can the expenses and just trust God for the rest. And wouldn't you say too, Rob, uh, don't be ashamed or afraid to make use of food pantries and different ministries that have food. Go get the grub Put that yeah. other money in a budget somehow That's right. and start That's right. putting it somewhere. Right, Rob? Quick comment on that. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's lots of options available, whether that's through the local church or whether that's through local ministries or even the government. So take full advantage of uh, these programs that are out there. They're there for you to take full advantage right of, so don't miss that. Amen. Coming to you live from the Morningstar Mission Sponsored Studios, this is Carl and Crew Mornings on 90.1 FM, Moody Radio. All right, we've got scores of questions sitting here. We're going to try to go lightning round. Rob, we're going to burn you out. You got one hour. I want you to lean into the tape. This is a 100-meter dash. You got 10 yards to go. You're out of gas. I want you to lean in. We're going to sprint to the finish here. Here we go. Uh, Give some advice on estate and will planning. I have a couple questions I want to try to batch together. What do you say? to uh, particularly those who are in their second half for the the second half of the game of life. (laughs) We'll put it that way. (laughs) And have not really gone down that road of figuring out how to uh, manage what will happen with when they leave. Yeah. Well, we've got to deal with this. I mean, as stewards of God's resources, this is the last stewardship decision we'll make. And talking about running through the tape, uh, finishing well, part of that includes your estate planning and your wealth transfer plan, which is both the mechanical side of I've got to have a will in place so that I'm not leaving that up to the court as to who will get my things. Remember, there's only three places it can go, the U.S. government, uh, charity or ministry or your heirs. And so you want to make sure that you you're directing where your uh, assets are going to go upon your death. That means you have to have a will so that you can make those wishes known. By the way, while you're in the estate planning attorney's office, go ahead and get a health care surrogate, a living will, and a durable power of attorney so you can make some of those end-of-life decisions and appoint uh, who will make those decisions on your behalf if you're incapacitated. Uh, beyond that, there's also the non-financial side of wealth transfer. So we need to know uh, how much are we leaving to the kids? 
And we've got to think through some important questions. You know, what are we expecting to happen? What's likely to happen when I drop X amount of dollars in my kids' laps based on the decisions they're making and where they're at on their own spiritual journey? Is it going to draw them closer to the Lord or will it actually drive a wedge and push them away? Could it perhaps deny your son-in-law's ability to provide for the family as you drop a million dollars in their lap? What's that going to do to their relationship? What are the potential risks or fallout, maybe we should give it all away. I don't know, but we need to be thinking about that, and we need to deal with that with intentionality. And if you have questions, the very best book on that topic is by one of my mentors, Ron Blue. It's called Splitting Heirs, and it deals with all the non-financial side of wealth transfer. Good stuff. Uh, Someone here is uh, getting ready for a wedding next year. Oh, I've got a pastor heart on this one. They're saying, what's the best way to join finances? Tell me if I'm all wet. I'm like, don't join them until you're married. Right, Rob? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Come on. We need to be talking a lot, right? So we need to have these conversations. What was money like growing up? I asked somebody that question one time. I said, tell me your earliest memory of money. He said, well, I tell you very clearly, it was us sitting on the corner on our couch after we had just been evicted from our apartment and our neighbors driving by pointing at us. Well, do you think he can ever have enough money ever the rest of his life to feel secure? No. And so knowing that story says everything about the way he's going to approach money. Well, what about her? Well, having these conversations about our earliest memories of money and how money was handled growing up and what are we going to do with our giving and how much lifestyle and how much is enough for our saving and what are we going to do with vacations? I mean, we got to be talking about all that because, yes, after we're married, we need to merge everything, including our finances, and then we need to operate as a one flesh moving forward under the Lordship of Christ. Okay, let me add a little mustard to this one. Uh, prenups. I am death on these things. Why are they a problem? Well, they're a problem because it's a just a erodes trust in a hurry. And so we're we need to put everything together from that point of marriage forward. So if it's a first marriage, it's really simple. If it's a second marriage and you've got a blended family, uh, you know, there are conversations that need to be had and there are decisions that need to be made, but it can be done in love and in trust, and it can be done in a way that preserves assets for kids from a prior marriage because it gets complicated. Uh, my friends at Family Life Blended. So this is Family Life Ministries, a part of Campus Crusade for Christ or Crew, but their division called Family Life Blended at familylife.com slash blended. Uh, there's something my friend Ron Deal has called a togetherness agreement, which is essentially kind of a biblical approach to making all of these decisions for a second marriage. Check that out. Look at their togetherness agreement and work through that as you make these key decisions for a second marriage. You're hearing Rob West, host of Money Wise Live. He's our guest expert as we talk about finances. And here's a question that came in. Should I include my home's worth? It's paid off when calculating retirement savings. Uh, no, typically not. I mean, unless you're going to downsize and take a portion of that asset and then convert that to an income stream, if you're planning on staying in that home in terms of your retirement assets, uh, you know, unless you're going to sell it or you're going to get a reverse mortgage, which I'm not a fan of as a, a primary option, unless you're kind of in a, in a corner, uh, I would say it doesn't count. Now we want it paid off because that's going to bring our lifestyle spending down as low as possible, but we need the assets that we 
can convert to income an income stream to cover our bills, and we don't want to look at the house as a way to do that. Remember, Social Security was never intended to cover more than 40% of your pre-retirement income. Well, if most folks live on 70 to 80 percent of your pre-retirement income in retirement, then you need 30 to 40 percent made up from other sources, which is uh, most often going to be, you know, your 401k or a pension. Good stuff. Uh, This person, this this is heartache here, but there's a way out. I'm 63. I have 200k in retirement funds. I will need uh, Social Security as primary living in the future. I still have a mortgage with 25 years left on it. I feel so hopeless. Advice, question mark. Yeah, I mean, it's going to come down to your spending plan. And and I get that you feel hopeless. You don't need to. Um, That mortgage is going to be with you for a while. So that's let's just factor that in. And we're going to have to right-size our budget around it. So we've got to include that mortgage payment. We've got to include all of our other expenses. First, you've got to know what they are. And then we've got to look for ways we can cut back. Now, that 200000 could be converted at, at a 4% withdrawal rate. That would be what I'd recommend. You may need to pull a little more. I mean, that's another $665 a month that could be added to your Social Security. So I think the question is, what can I do to reduce lifestyle spending around Social Security plus 665. If I can do it, great. If I can't, well, I'm going to have to pull a little bit more than 4%, which means I'm probably going to be drawing that down over time. So let's just try to get that to last as long as we can. Uh, Help with this one. Uh, Side hustle when you're drawing down Social Security. How does that work? Yeah. So once you reach full retirement age, you can earn as much as you want uh, on Social Security and your benefits won't be reduced. Prior to full retirement age, which is 66 or 67 for most folks, you will have a reduction beyond, I think it's 14000 a year that you earn. It's a dollar for every $2 you earn above that, your benefits will be reduced, but you're going to get that back. So once you get to full retirement age, you'll start to receive that reduction back in the form of a higher monthly check, and they'll continue that until you're fully repaid. Uh, At that point, it will stop. Got to go into work? Don't worry. Check out the Carl and Crew Showcast wherever you like to stream. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. All right. That fits with what we've, we've gotten a lot of questions. Will today's show have a link? Yes. And we can give it to you now. We will not edit out anything. Are, 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 am I overpromising? No, you're good. Are we sure? <laughs> yes. Okay, we will have this whole show. Now, it'll be spot-free, song-free, just boom. Correct. It'll be a podcast with all these questions. Text the word SHOW to our number here. You can get all these showcasts, not only today, but yesterday, before then, and forevermore. <laughs> Text the word SHOW to our number here, 312-274-9624. Text the word show to 312-274-9624. And that's going to bury a ton of questions when all these texts come in, but we can handle it. Let's go, Allie. Rob, what do you say to someone who's asking, should my kids take advantage of the student debt relief opportunity if it becomes available? Does this go against biblical principles of paying off debt? 
Yeah, wow, there's so much to this question. <laughs> All right, so if we go back to God's Word, we see the Shemitah, and Carl, you would know this as a pastor, right? So there was the debt forgiveness. Yes. The Jews got this from the Babylonians. It was every seven years. It was pre-scheduled. It was in the law. It wasn't from the king, right? It didn't have elements of political favoritism in it, right? It was informed consent for everybody, not for a select few that borrowed and didn't haven't yet repaid. Um, so I, I don't think what we're talking about here, even though some would say it's it's most closely aligned to the Shemitah, uh, or others would say the Jubilee, which I don't think that was that's right either. Uh, you know, what we have here is something that came from the executive branch. Uh, so it would be like the Babylonian emperor for personal popularity decrees debt forgiveness. It's not predictable. It was out of nowhere. It doesn't conform to a biblical approach. And in terms of you know, what we look at in God's word, I think it's probably most akin to the parable of the unfaithful steward. If we want to find a parallel where he was administering his role and does targeted debt forgiveness to gain favor for himself. Well, you, well, the pulled, the, is, you pulled the varnish off your opinion on that one. <laughs> but this is but this isn't our choice as consumers, right? Right. And so we need to develop our own convictions, I think, about whether or not we're going to take this. Now, there's a question right now. It's kind of stuck in, in, it might uh, not make in the it. courts. Yeah. I mean, the executive branch really doesn't have the power to do this. And uh, but I think the question for each of us is Romans 14, let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. We've got to decide, do we want to take this? And that's not a decision for me to make. I think you have to make that for yourself. OK, a lot of great questions coming in here. Uh, let's go back to this budget one. And by the way, some of you are needing a landing page to know where in the world do we go for all this content, even apps for forming a budget. There's a one-stop shop yep. here, guys. Go to moneywise.org, moneywise.org. And you heard Rob also mention the MoneyWise app. Is that linked to the website, Rob, moneywise.org? It Can is. they find the app yeah, there? Yeah, just click the app button at the top of the page. Okay, really quick. Give a banner ad for this app. You didn't, you didn't, you couldn't find a, a a budgeting app out there that fit. You went and made one. Two years of back-end programming. Slam it again, Rob. I want people to go there and get this. Yeah, you know, I was, Larry Burkett used to talk about the digital, or not digital, but the envelope system. And yep. he made this really popular where you would actually go out and plan your budget and you would literally, after every paycheck, you'd fund these envelopes and you'd have mainly envelopes for every discretionary category where you didn't get a bill in the mail. And then you would literally take the envelopes with you and for eating out or going to buy some clothes or whatever it is, when the envelope was empty, you were done, right? And some people still use that today. They might have little accordions. I mean, people call in and tell us all the things they're doing with their envelope system. I love it. It's a very effective way to budget. Well, we said we want a digital version of that that's a modern expression that's beautiful interface that's simple and easy to use, and I couldn't find it. So we found some world-class developers that were godly folks wanting to help stewards, but uh, just gifted in programming. For two years, they built the MoneyWise app. I think today it's the very best money management system out there. It uses all the latest standards, you know, the same platform that Venmo and American Express use with all the latest security to connect to your bank accounts, download your transactions automatically, but into your envelopes that you set up based on your budget so you and or you and your spouse can at any point see exactly what's left in each envelope at any point and then make decisions accordingly. Because if we wait till the end of the month to look back and say, how did we do? Well, it's too late. We need to be able to make those real-time decisions and adjust along the way, especially with Americans 
now spending $500 a month more every month because of inflation. So check it out. You'll find it in your app store. Search for MoneyWise Biblical Finance or go to MoneyWise.org and click app. Great. we got someone here in pretty good condition. But this is interesting. My husband and I have 54K left on our mortgage. We are intensely paying it off, and it will be in eight months. We are 34 and have no other debt, but we have greatly sacrificed our retirement to pay off our home. Are we too late to save for retirement? I think, Rob, we're in pretty good shape here. <laughs> no, <laughs> Yeah, you're doing great. I mean, you should host Ask the Expert next time yes. because I love what's yes. going on here. Uh, no, you stay on this. I mean, you're going to be debt-free in eight months. Here's the reality, oh, Carl my. and Allie. In all the years I've been doing this, I've never gotten a call ever from somebody who said, guess what, Rob? I paid off the house and I really regret it. <laughs> I just don't get that call, right? So so pay it off. Call me when you do. Let's celebrate together and then take that mortgage payment and you systematically invest that for the next 30 years on a compounded basis and just wait to see how much the Lord allows you to accumulate. On retirement spent of a set of sides, people underestimate the value of matching in their companies. A lot of companies have it. Oh, Even yeah. Moody Bible yeah. Institute has it here. Yeah. And we should... If we're in our 40s, wouldn't shouldn't we start maximizing that set aside if financially possible? Oh, yeah. So you need an emergency fund. I would say, you know, build up that. I would say the first stopping point is $1,500. Uh, but after you have $1,500 in emergency savings, the first thing you want to do is take advantage of that matching. That's free money. That's 100% return on your money up to what your employer will do guaranteed. You're not going to find that anywhere. So don't leave that on the table. If it's 3%, let's put that 3% in. Then we go and we don't do a dollar more until we pay off those credit cards at 20 and 25 and 27%. And once we do, then we build that emergency fund up to three to six months expenses. And at that point, we're going back to increase our retirement savings to a goal of 10 to 15%. Rob, here's a tough question I'm sure you hear often. How do I eliminate credit card debt? No matter how much I try to pay a little bit more than the minimum payment, I try not to use them, but the debt just doesn't seem to budge. What advice do you have for me? Yeah. So the starting point is to have the emergency fund because that's going to break the cycle because the unexpected will come. And when it does, if I don't have that emergency savings, the reserves that's readily available to fall back on, I can't break the cycle of the credit card spending. So I only use credit cards for budgeted items. And when I can't pay it off in full, I cut them up. I mean, it's as simple as that. And once I have the emergency savings there, now when the unexpected comes, I have some place to go. So we've got to start with the spending plan. We've got to look at every expense, give every dollar a name, cut back every place we can to free up margin. That's the surplus after the bills are paid, after the giving's done, after the salary deferral, after the bills and the health care. I've got to have something left over. That's what funds my emergency fund up to $1,500. Then, uh, depending on whether I have 4000 or more or less, Less of credit card debt, I'll take two approaches. Less than 4000 snowball it. Line them up smallest to largest balance, pay the minimums on all of them, but take that margin from the budget, that surplus, and let's go after the card with the smallest balance. The psychological win on you paying that off is going to keep you going to the next card and the next card and the one after that. If you have more than 4000 in credit card debt, call my friends at christiancreditcounselors.org. They'll get those interest rates reduced. You'll pay it off 80% faster and get out of debt once and for all. Give me that website one more time because I know we're going to get questions about it. Yeah, Christian, Christian Credit. Credit Counselors. 
Org. Okay, great. And they are a good organization. They're helping a friend of mine right now. Uh, here's a question I want to add to it. Are, are pensions affected by inflation? Uh, first off, answer that, and then I got another pension question, because we live in Chicago, and our debt here is cra- crazy in the city. Go ahead, Rob. Uh, yeah, so uh, inflation uh, <laughs> raises costs for public pensions. Um, and, you know, in terms of what the direct impact of that's going to have, there's no guaranteed increases depending upon uh, your pension. And so you're just going to have to adjust for that in your budget in most cases. Okay. Um, R- Detroit, a number of years ago, had to actually negotiate because they were broke with their pensioners. And some of these pensions, if I'm not mistaken, was like greatly reduced. We live in a city with enormous debt. Many economists are looking forward saying some pensioners might get dinged big time here. Do you plan for that? And if so, how? Yeah. I mean, you've you've got to understand who you're relying on, who ultimately is responsible to pay your bills and what is their credit worthiness. And so I think we just need to be informed about who that is. Now, in some cases, not a whole lot we can do about it because, you know, we're in a career and we're working toward a certain number of years of tenure to be able to get benefits for that. And we're relying on this pension and we're praying that there's not any disruption in that and that, uh, you know, these uh, entities are solved. Solvent, um, but I think we need to factor that in to the extent we understand there's a question mark there and we have choices or options. We may choose a different option based on our understanding of how likely that money is going to be there when I need it. I think presuming upon government to come through when they've made a promise is not a good presumption. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Whether it's number one or 100, take that step with Jesus today. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. Ask the experts. We got Rob West. He is our expert today on all things finances. The whole week tackling this, guys. This has been amazing. Amazing. Now, listen, Rob, we're going to ask you to pick up the pace even more. The last five meters of this 100-meter dash, I'm (laughs) asking you to lean in here. We're going to rock it town. Let's go, Allie. We have someone trying to create a budget for retirement, which is a couple years away. They say, how can I plan budgeting for housing when I rent and housing is skyrocketed? If I used 25% for housing, my rent would be $1,250, but right now it's at $1,850 and going up even a bit more uh, very soon. What do you say? Yeah, I mean, this is a real challenge and folks are feeling this pinch. It will get better. Housing prices are falling. We've had a 400 basis point rise in mortgage rates over the last several months from under 3% to over 7% on 30% uh, on 30 year mortgages. That's really causing some softening in the housing market. We've already seen prices dipping. That's going to spill over as a lagging indicator into the rental prices. So that will be coming down. In the meantime, what do I do? Well, this is the place for that emergency fund. You know, we talk every day on MoneyWise Live about having three to six months worth of expenses for the unexpected. Well, this kind of inflationary spike, 40-year highs, uh, is unexpected. And that's where we might have to come in out of emergency savings and supplement this to normalize this so we can get it into the budget. You're right. 25% of your take-home pay for your uh, mortgage payment or your rent payment is the right number to make 
sure you have enough left for everything else. When you can't do that, we either move, which may not be an option because prices are high everywhere, or we've got to right size the budget. So now we go back to the budget and say, okay, I've got to keep the utilities paid. I got to keep a roof over my head. I got to keep gas in the car and food on the table, but everything else is up for grabs. And where am I going to cut back so I can right size the budget, make it through this until I can, you know, add the cable back and add, you know, the subscription services back and do what I have to do until I can get, um, you know, a rent payment that I can afford. Question. When do you decide I'm going to move from renting to purchasing? What what helps you make that decision? Yeah, you've got to be financially ready for it. I love the idea, Carl, of home ownership. I love the fact that you could buy a place that you can afford and you can build equity over time and eventually pay that off. But the last thing I want you to do is stretch to get into a house and put yourself in a position where you've got a cash crunch and that really devastates you financially. So I would say wait, especially now while housing prices are still elevated, even though we're seeing a softening. But the cost of ownership, the affordability of homes has plummeted because interest rates are so high now. It's more than more than seven percent on thirty-year rates. It's just making those uh, new mortgage payments incredibly high on top of still high housing prices. So if you don't have twenty percent down, if you don't have a mortgage payment that's going to be ideally uh, principal, interest, taxes, and insurance twenty-five uh, percent or less of your take-home pay, then I would say wait. As much as I know you don't like renting and kind of quote unquote throw that money down the drain, I would wait and save until you're ready to buy a house that you can afford. Rob West, our guest this morning, we have just a little bit more time for you to squeeze in a couple more questions. 312-274-9624. Rob, is long-term care insurance a wise investment for future care? Uh, it can be. I like long-term care insurance. It's gotten expensive. And the challenge that a lot of folks have found with long-term care insurance policies is that they uh, have seen the prices, the premiums continue to rise, which has to be done in the aggregate. It can't be done on an individual policyholder. But they, with the rising cost of health care, these policy premiums have been rising too. And it's pushed beyond some folks' ability to continue to pay it in their budget. And that means they have to drop it and all that money is lost. So you've got to go into it, making sure you get a policy you can afford, including price hikes for premiums down the road. But if you can, this is probably the biggest risk in that season of life that's going to erode your assets. If you have assets between two hundred fifty thousand and two million below two hundred fifty thousand, you're going to be relying on the government above two million. You're self-insured. But in that other window, which is where most people are, you know, 70 percent of Americans 65 and older are going to need long term care. It could be 8000 a month, depending upon what kind of care you need. And that uh, is going to obviously add up in a big way over time and could deplete your assets. Well, a long-term care insurance policy is going to give you a daily benefit. But again, you've got to check the affordability. You've got to have an inflation rider on it. And you want to look at the waiting period to see how long has to go by before it kicks in based on these triggering events of what they call activities of daily living. But if you get somebody who can help you find the right policy that fits in your budget between ages 55 and 65, I'm a fan. Okay, somebody wants some clarity on drawing down Social Security. Their understanding is if you take it early at 62, you get less money. Uh, yeah. Give us the math on that. How? What's the best way to decide when to get into it? 
Yeah, I mean, you're going to take a permanent reduction of your Social Security of about 30 percent if you take it at 62 versus full retirement age. So why would you do that? Well, if you have to would really be the only reason. Otherwise, I would say keep working so you can let that grow in an average of 8 percent a year uh, until full retirement age. And if you can wait beyond that up until age 70, it'll keep growing at 8 percent a year. Well, why would I want to do that? Well, for instance, take the this. If you were to take it at age 70 versus 67, um, you're going to end up with uh, 8% a year for those three years. Uh, so that's another 24% on your check for the rest of your life. Well, but I wasn't receiving it from 67 to 70. What about that? You're right. So that extra amount, that extra 24% in your check is going to take about 12 years for you to recoup that in the form of higher checks from 70 and beyond. But if you live more than 12 years, which once you reach age 65, the life expectancy goes to 82 or 83. If you're going to live more than 12 years, and none of us know, but if you're healthy and the Lord tarries and there's a good chance that you will, well, then you're going to recoup all of that after 11 or 12 years. And then you've got that 24% extra amount in your paycheck for the rest of your life, which may be the difference in you balancing your budget. We have someone looking for a recommendation, Rob. I'll give you a minute to think about this. They said, instead of having my savings in a regular savings account, earning no interest, what are your top three online banking sites you recommend for getting a better interest on my savings? It's a great question. We'll ask Rob coming up. Okay. Also, we want to give you guys a site right now, moneywise.org. You will find everything you need there. One-stop shop, including a link to an app that he spent two years constructing with some brainiacs who built a strong engine. And this is basically Burkett's uh, envelope system done digitally. It's very intuitive. You can do it. If they're 65, can they do it, Rob? Absolutely. And we've got a team that'll help you. A team that'll help you. Ooh, even better. That's even better. Moneywise.org, moneywise.org. We're in the middle of Ask the Experts Week. More with Rob West coming up. We're going to give him a little breather. Poor guy. (laughs) But, Rob, you need to know, when you get back, we're going to sprint like we haven't even yet. So here we go. You ready? All right, bud. Yeah, I got another cup of coffee. All right, here we go. (laughs) Got to go into work? Don't worry. Check out the Carl and Crew Showcast wherever you like to stream. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. Ask the expert week here on Carl and Crew Mornings. Rob West is our guest. He hosts MoneyWise Live in the afternoons at 3 o'clock. You can also check out resources at moneywise.org. Rob, I'm ready for your top three online banking sites. Someone said, instead of having my savings in a regular savings account, earning no interest, uh, give me some recommendations for getting a better interest on my savings. Yeah, the great news is because of what's going on with inflation, the Fed has been raising rates, which is a challenge for those that are in debt because variable rates are headed higher. The good news is that that means savings accounts are finally paying something. Uh, So my top three would be Ally Bank, A-L-L-Y, Marcus at Marcus.com or Capital One 360. Right now you're going to find about 2.5% APY uh, on high-yield savings accounts, no fees, no minimums. You can link it to your checking, and that will continue to head higher. The Fed rose, uh, raised rates again yesterday, three-quarters of a point. That will eventually trickle down into higher savings rates as well. Okay. Uh, this is an outlier. Uh, they have an extra 500 k to invest, 
and a house. I can't quite figure this out if they owe 500 K on it or it's paid off. What does someone do that has 500 K sitting there to invest and they've maybe let's take it as they've got 500 K to pay off on the home. Let's take it as that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like being debt free. I mean, there would be a lot of advisors that would say, no, let's invest that and keep the mortgage. It's a productive use. It's an uh, asset that's appreciating. And I get that. And that's all true. In most cases, the house will appreciate over the long haul. Uh, and you could put that to work. I think there is the non-financial side you have to consider as well, which is the peace of mind that comes from knowing that you own your home. You're unencumbered, free and clear. Um, and so you've got to weigh both of those. And eventually, you know, make your own decision. At the very least, I'd like for you to have the house paid off by the time you hit retirement so you can get your expenses as low as possible in that season of life. So that would, as to whether or not you pay off the house, if you had a half million dollar mortgage and you have a half million dollars available, maybe you got an inheritance, I think that would come down to, are you on track with your long-term savings apart from that? You've been systematically investing into a 401k and a Roth IRA, or you have a pension, um, and you're on track there, and then you have this money available and you could come in and pay off the house. Uh, I love that option. But if you don't, you may rather just stay on track to pay off the mortgage by retirement and then put this money to work. Last thing I would say is make sure you have an advisor who's walking alongside you unless you have the training or an expertise to invest this yourself. And uh, you could find a certified kingdom advisor at moneywise.org. Just click find a CKA. Uh, we got someone here in their 80s called in, left a message, have $200,000 in stocks and bonds, but I'm losing money. Should I take it out and put it in a CD? No, 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 no. I mean, here's the thing. These are unrealized losses right now. We saw a taste of what's going to happen in the market once we know the Fed is done raising rates over the last four weeks. Now, that came to a screeching halt yesterday, and it's going to carry over in today because the Fed comments were out indicating that basically Chairman Powell is saying we're not ready to take our foot off the gas pedal yet. We're waiting for signs inflation's coming down. We haven't seen it yet. That stopped this recovery in its tracks. So we could head lower from here. We probably will. But what we know is that once the Fed is done and once they see signs, the economy, inflation's under control, the economy's ready to turn, this market will take off on the upside. You want to be there. So you want to stay invested. Now, once you recover, and this may be next year, then it's time to say, was I too aggressive? Did I get uh, a little over aggressive in my investment strategy during those 12 years beyond 2009, where the market was going straight up, and do I need to get a little more conservative? Well, you may need to make that decision at that point, but I wouldn't do it now. Let's get one more in. This came in by a call. It says, I have a fear of investing money. The stock market scares me. How can I, as a Christian, overcome my fear of money? You know, this is a, it's an unusual it's question, question, but I think a lot of people feel like that. When you start hearing ta- all these different numbers and uh, letters yeah. that stand for things that you don't sure. know, yeah. it can feel very intimidating to the point where you go, I, I don't know what to do with any of this. What would you say to the person who feels kind of fearful and intimidated even having these conversations? 
Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think you know, you need some wise counsel here. I mean, keep in mind, at a, at a very basic level, God owns it all. He's entrusted it to us as managers or stewards. That means we need to provide for our families. And yes, we need to be giving to the people on our path and to our local church. But we also recognize we need to take a portion of what God entrusts to us today and set it aside for the future, because there may come a time where we're unable to work or God redirects us to something that's unpaid or at a reduction in our income. We need to be able to pay for our expenses. Well, your money is losing purchasing power every day through inflation, which happens to be sky high right now. Well, the way you overcome that is by putting it to work, but it's not in something mysterious. It's not a black box. You're investing in real companies that have sales and earnings and are providing value to the world through their product or service, and then you're participating in their growth. And we happen to be blessed to live in the country with the strongest economy in the world, despite our challenges. So I think that's kind of the big idea is that we can deploy capital to grow it, and we can actually do it in a way that aligns with our values through something called faith-based investing. But I think one of the ways you do that is you get wise counsel, somebody to walk alongside you to help you understand it, who has a teacher's heart, who can educate you and help you make those decisions or make them for you based on your goals and objectives. And that's why we've been referring folks to our website at moneywise.org to find a certain Kingdom Advisor. Moneywise.org. Get there. There's an app for budgeting that is one of the best out there, if not the best out there. It uses the old Burkett envelope system. Now it's digital. It's very intuitive. And they have coaches that can help you onboard and sort it out. How about them apples? That's great. Okay, quick question. Uh, this will apply to maybe the largest portion of our entire audience. This really? question I'm going to ask. Okay. And it's coming from my heart, and it's a question I've asked plenty of times. When do we have full coverage, and when do we not have full coverage on our cars? Mm, yeah, Because that's a big nut, and those insurance companies, they seem to be awash in my money, Rob. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Uh, yeah, so it comes down to uh, comprehensive coverage, and when uh, do I drop it? And, you know, there is a, a rule of thumb on that. Um, as we you know look at that, generally, it's if you're uh, paying too much based on the value of your car. Um, so if your car is, uh, you know, five or six years old, or perhaps maybe even a lot more than that, and the premium uh, exceeds 10% of the car's value, at that point, it may makes sense for you to drop that comprehensive coverage. You always need liability coverage. You always need to be talking to your agent to make sure you're protected. And I would recommend even for the average folk uh, person that they have a, um, uh, an umbrella policy that goes beyond the limits of their uh, homeowners and auto insurance policy uh, in case of something you know catastrophic. But if you're going to have a premium that's more than 10% of your car's value, you, that's when you should at least start thinking about dropping that comprehensive coverage because you just don't need is it. Is that the total of insurance premium or just the comprehensive portion at the calculated 10%? Yeah, the comprehensive portion. Okay. That's a great rule of thumb. It really is. Oh, man. Do we have any? Do we have time for any more? We do. We got time. Let's get in one more. One more. Uh, quick clarifying question. Does that include collision or just comprehension on that insurance question, Rob West? 
Yeah, I was talking about collision insurance. I may have said comprehensive, but that's collision. When the collision gets more than 10% of your car's value, the annual premium, I think that's when you need to start talking to your agent. Okay, one last question here. How do you know when you're spending too much money on frivolous living? We are faithful givers to our church, to other godly organizations. When is it okay to spend money on a fabulous vacation or purely <laughs> what entertainment? A great Items. How do, you, how do you strike that balance between, yes, we save, yes, we invest, but what about yeah. a, a vacation here and there or maybe a new TV? Yeah. Well, I love what Ron Blue says. You know, when you look at First Timothy, he says, really, the uh, as we think about our money, it's for provision. It's We should think about it with contentment, but it's also for our enjoyment. And that's pretty clear in God's Word. And so we want to enjoy what God has entrusted to us. And so if every spending decision is a spiritual decision, there's nothing more spiritual about paying down debt or giving than there is taking a vacation if it's done within a plan and it's done to build lifetime memories with our family members. And so I don't think we need to feel guilty about enjoying what God has provided to us so long as it's done within a plan that's been prayed through and aligns with our values and priorities as a believer that prioritizes the things that matter most to us because the way we handle our money indicates, you know, what we value. So are we giving? Are we saving for the future? Are we living within our means? And yes, are we enjoying it to, you know, build uh, relationships and and enjoy the fruit of what God has entrusted to us? Fantastic. Rob West, you did it, my man. You did it. Three hours. Three hours. That was a long time. Hey, and get get a nap because Rob's going to be back here at 3 p.m. And I want you fresh, Rob. 3 p.m. today, (laughs) every weekday, we're here on 90.1 FM. Rob West, website, moneywise.org, moneywise.org. Get the showcast right now. Text the word show to 312-274-9624. Give Rob some grace today on Moneywise Live. (laughs) He may be tired. Hey, this is Carl with Carl and Crew, and I'm so grateful that you listened to this showcast. Thank you mostly for being part of the Boom Crew. As we help you take your next step with Jesus, you're a huge encouragement to us. We'll be here again live every weekday morning from 5 to 9 a.m. Godspeed.